0: Your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Thursday. Crappy Thursday. Crappy out. 608-785-7914 if you want to get in here. You know what we're going to talk about. There's There's that one texter I get that's so mad that I talk about, Hatch Baby. But we actually have caught, allegedly, some people that have destroyed hatch baby that news came out this early late this morning Mayor mayor mitch reynolds sent out a, a little press release a news release i should say and uh three people between the age of 20 and 22 were arrested i i don't know if they were arrested today but the news release came out today so if they were arrested this morning or maybe yesterday but uh Theft, possession of stolen property, criminal damage to property. Uh, three different people. Two were two were out on signature bond, and one just got a, a citation for possession of stolen property. Uh, so we can all rejoice in the fact that we've caught the people that. Hopefully, right? Well, we've made some arrests anyway. They're, they're innocent until proven guilty. Now, the next order of business is for the police to catch the people that stole the cords out of the rotary lights display at around $13,000 worth of theft there. Um, I would say people are probably a little bit more outraged about uh, stealing from the holiday lights display that goes on at Riverside Park for a month before Christmas versus the probably... Little less popular hatched baby statue, right? Six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four. Caller, who's this? Hello. So,
1: yeah. Th- this is Irv from Town of Campbell.
0: Hey, Irv, go ahead.
1: Hey, I uh, wanted to thank uh, wanted to thank you guys. You guys put on a fantastic program. Uh, first question: I- I've been looking at the twenty forty long term plan for the city of La Crosse. Kay. One of the things that I thought was fantastic. Was that uh, the the hopes is that they're going to incentivize uh, the Bimbo Bread Company to relocate out to the industrial park, doubling the size of Cameron Park, and also making the Pearl Street uh, a a pedestrian walkway with a raised gate between uh, Bodega and that CBD shop, and removing all the curbs and gutters. Does that sound like a wonderful thing for our city?
0: Is Bodega on Pearl Street?
1: It's, it's it's on the corner of 4th and Pearl.
0: Is That's it? Okay. So making that a, a walkway? Making Pearl Street a walkway?
1: Yes, I thought that was a, a, an intriguing thought for our long-term planning vision. Do
0: you agree? Well, uh, I don't know. How would you get over Second and uh, 3rd and 4th Street? How would you get over those roads? Is there going to be a bridge there?
1: No, there won't be a bridge. The, the, it's clear that it will happen likely either between... Uh, 4th and 3rd on Pearl, or 3rd and 2nd on Pearl, but uh, it's an intriguing thought. Uh, uh, It's interesting because it would have to cross a state highway if it's crossing 3rd Street, but uh, not a bridge, no, it's being contiguous. So either one of those blocks or both, but uh, it seemed like an intriguing thought. It's a common thing that you see in many other cities around the nation, and I thought it was a, a meritorious idea.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't have any problems with, you know, blocking off. What's what's interesting then, do we do we dig up the, the concrete on Pearl Street then and put maybe some grass or, or something else?
1: No, 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 no. It's just a contiguous boulevard. It would be uh, as, as though we were deleting the, the curb. So it would be, uh, you know, people won't trip. It just becomes a, 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 a like a pathway, a lot of the... Uh, businesses on the street could have exterior dining uh extend beer gardens into the street in it, that turns, area. it turns it turns into festivals
0: it turns into state street right in Madison kind of a little bit like a mini it, state street
1: it, yeah more or less it makes it more of a makes it to more of a like a large courtyard um, anyway it's, it, 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 it was an intriguing thing that I saw in the Long-term 2020 planning documents, and uh, I thought it was worth mentioning. It uh, maybe start some discussion with your program
0: today. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's good. I, I have Fire Chief Ken Gilliam on, so we can we can actually ask him about that because there's a uh, there's kind of a avenue there. Do do the fire trucks get to go down that road then? Um, but yeah, it's that's interesting. What were some of the other things you sent? Something about a bread company, which isn't familiar to me. Um, but what were a couple what, well, of the other there, things?
1: There, there there was a uh, so. Part of the long-range planning is part of the redevelopment of the King Street Corridor. And as part of that redevelopment, they're uh, looking at various things that can be done along the King Street Corridor, basically between Front and 2nd Street, with a piggies area, kind of up to about 7th Street. And uh, one of the ideas is uh, in that long-term planning document that shared is uh, publicly available, is a, uh, uh, a, a just an expanded uh, purpose used for Cameron for Park. Um, they're hoping to kind of create a gateway park, Area basically doubling the size, hopefully doubling the size of the existing Cameron Park space uh, by relocating a uh, a bread company which is currently called Oh Dimbo, yeah beds one of the largest companies in the world, which is across from Quick Chip on uh, Fifth and Cass. Anyway, there's has been, been developing some residential things kind of in the area where Pishkeez is today. Uh, interesting, uh, interesting thoughts. Uh, but anyway, that's that's uh, the number of things in that document that. Uh, uh, seem a little ambitious, but uh, anyway, it provides uh, fodder for conversation, which is always great for talk radio.
0: yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah thanks thanks for the call i gotta I gotta let you go. I gotta give a break here, but um yeah, would we tear down that that building then? It's always interesting when we we talk about tearing down buildings um and then tearing down buildings for a, a larger park it sounds like uh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> Um, making Cameron Park just doubling its size. I mean, that's not the worst thing, but also then that's just, I mean, if we're going to relocate, I don't have a problem with relocating a a manufacturing or the bimbo bread company out of the area. And, you know, all of downtown is basically car dealerships right now, which is kind of weird (laughs) car dealerships and some other uh, businesses, just parking lots, which I don't, I'm not like the biggest fan of either. Sorry, car dealerships, but you know when downtown Lacrosse is basically parking lots of car dealerships, it's just not like the coolest thing. All right, so the guy took all my thunder from us getting the arrest from Blue Baby Hatch Baby, uh, the twenty-three thousand dollars statue that we can no longer fix. The artist says, although I think there are some local artists that want to uh, fix it. Anyway, like I said, Ken Gilliam, fire chief's going to come on. Maybe we'll ask Ken Gilliam about his forty-year long-term plan. Um, we'll be back. <laughs> All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM six zero eight seven eight five seven nine one four. Gilliam likes to likes it when people call. So if you want to call, Fire Chief Ken Gilliam's on. He's on the phone with me. I told him to stay out of here. It's too crappy. You like to drive. It when people call? Yeah, well, yeah, you're into that. And and so so if you were listening before the sh- before the break, Ken, uh, somebody calls and they have they have just it was a rational call. It was productive, and we could have did a whole show on it if I had had st- some of that stuff laid out in front of me. Um, But the whole time he wants to talk, he's talking about the 2040, the long range plan and some of the ideas in there. And the whole time, because he started off with like bimbo bread company, which now that he, that he described it later, that right away, right off the bat, it wasn't familiar to me. But then he's, you know, across from Cameron Park. I'm like, oh yeah, I know what that, the people with the hairnets are always standing out there smoking and I'm but the whole time I'm thinking, is this guy trolling me? Is this a is this a fake call? What is this guy's agenda? How is he trying to get me on something? So I was on the defense all the whole time until I started to to realize that uh, oh okay, rational person calling here with an actual topic, which was awesome. But I uh, yeah,
2: I, I think that was the uh, the Imagine Twenty Forty uh, Downtown Plan that I think Council. Uh, accepted uh, last month from our Planning and Economic Development Department. Uh, Quite a bit of work went into that. And uh, it's a lot of, uh, you know, it's a visionary plan of what what could be and something certainly to uh, work towards as a growth plan. So uh, I'm not totally familiar with it. Uh, Probably, uh, you know, Director, Train, or somebody from Planning Department or the Mayor's Office would probably be more uh, suited to
0: speak to it. Well, and we, we, you know, when I have you on, some of these things that that go through council and committees and and whatnot – Uh, affect the fire department so one of the things he brought up was pearl street becoming essentially you know state street on madison right it's basically a street but people you know it's just a walkway essentially um he said something you know there might there's a concept there where we'd make pearl street downtown up till maybe up to bodega and down to the the riverside make that essentially like state street where you could just it's no cars uh would that affect the fire department at all
2: Yeah, no, it'd have to be a plaza. You've got some pretty historic buildings down there. I'm pretty certain you'd still want to uh, get a fire truck to them. I think, uh, as I recall, you were standing out behind 304 Pearl when it was on fire in January, and uh, you saw the amount of fire rigs and everything that was dealing with that uh, half a block that was on fire. Um, So, it's uh, you know, I I think those plazas are becoming more and more uh, common in cities where it's more pedestrian plaza, but there's usually uh, abilities for, uh, you know, service vehicles and and other uh, needs to get through their deliveries and whatnot.
0: Yeah, you have, to, you have to take into account, you gotta, we got to drive. What if we just made fire trucks smaller? Can we do that somehow? And then we don't have to worry about the, the bump outs and, and the speed bumps?
2: Pros and cons with every decision, Rick,
0: you know that. <laughs> and then uh, I was kind of curious, too. I didn't throw these at you beforehand, so I'm going to throw them at you now. Um, there's talk, you know, we talk about we're transferring our, our we're, we're really just starting to talk about going to electric vehicles. Uh, we're probably a little behind the rest of the world there or some of the world anyway. Um, have you seen any concepts of like electric fire trucks or no? It seems kind yeah. of a funny idea because electricity and water don't always mix, but obviously that wouldn't happen.
1: No,
2: I, yeah, I think uh, the city of Madison uh, has one that they're, uh, you know, working with right now. I'm looking forward to feedback after their first year, especially, I think the big fear, you know, in the Midwest is just the, the very uh, extremely cold winters, what that will do to a, to a, vehicle that you don't necessarily want to shut down in the middle of the night when it's 40 below. So I, I uh, we're, we're certainly keeping an eye on Madison. I think there was a recent article where Portland and a few other cities are, are looking at electric fire engines. Uh, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's a cool idea. I think the, uh, the technology will continue to evolve. Uh, I know on our current uh, fire station design work, we've had some discussions on everything from you know, solar panels, offsetting costs to, you know, plugins for electric vehicles. That'll be coming more and more common, I think, as we move into the next few decades.
0: Yeah, you have to start thinking about if you're going to build new fire, fire stations, hey, maybe we should at least put an outlet here for an electric vehicle, if not by, you know, like start thinking about that process. Otherwise, you'll be tearing, tearing walls out and, and redoing it. Um,
2: yeah, and I, and I'll cut the rumor off now. I haven't asked for a fire chief Tesla just yet, but I'm I'm open to that concept.
0: Yeah oh, would sorry. it just would it be uh, red? Would you have it like a sparkly red? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, throw the the fire chief magnet on the side of it. Um, with that, with electric fire trucks though, would they have to be hybrid? Or because you know you always worry about like what if the fire goes on for so long, then you're looking to plug in the fire truck somewhere because it's running out of electricity. The batteries run. Yeah,
2: and I'm not a I'm not an expert in those. I have not done enough research on them. I would imagine there's some kind of hybrid engine there that you'd switch it back over to diesel or something. But I I think um, if you look at the computing technology in our uh, cell phones that we're all walking around with now, you know, it's it's more power than what they. Landed on the moon with just a few decades back, so it, it's. I don't think anything's out of the, uh, the possibility of what could be done
0: technologically. So. Maybe something like a hamster wheel on the back, just so you can keep the battery charged. Someone gets on there and runs on the hamster wheel. There you go. Um, um, just to, and then talking about downtown lacrosse. We, so last time you came on, we were. I think it was last time we talked about the the idea of putting speed bumps in the King Street 10th 11th 12th Street area and how that would just add to the frustration of a fire truck going through there. Look, in front of the Lacrosse Center, they've redone that now and there's there's kind of hybrid, I would call them hybrid speed bumps. I don't know if there's an official name for them. But uh you know, what do you think of those going I mean, they're they're not too bad, but do you, if those were all over the place, would you have a problem with them?
2: No, I think you know they're they're certainly designed to slow down traffic a little bit, but they're definitely uh, you know bigger trucks with suspensions. You you've got a lot of truck traffic down Second there. Um, again, we're not opposed to all traffic engineering. We're just we're wanting to make sure we're making smart choices. Um, looking at what they did on Second Street, I, I think you know drivers that know the city are gonna uh, know where those are at. You're gonna slow down a little bit, but the suspensions and the larger rigs can handle things like that. Um, you know, so it's, it's just it's all uh, little pieces of the puzzle that I think they, the city's agreed. It needs to kind of look towards the future and really everything from bump outs to speed bumps and, uh, you know, circles and roundabouts. There's, there's a lot of dialogue going on on that.
0: Um, and then I was talking to a friend the other day and I think there was, you know, you had a house in an apartment fire the other day where I believe 20, did you have 20 or 26 firefighters end up at the scene? Um I can't remember what street it was on. It was a two two where the dog and the and the person were trapped. Essentially. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah, no it was a, it was a triplex. It was a fairly a large house that had been segregated into a triplex. Uh it was a pretty interesting call. A woman actually called in 911 and uh was trapped in her bedroom with her dog and you know couldn't get out of the room because of the smoke and uh, the window wasn't openable as I recall and uh Crews got on scene, did a great job putting the fire out, stopping, and uh, they actually located her. But then uh, conditions were tenable up in that bedroom she was in, so a crew of the firefighters uh, kept her up there until they got you know more of the smoke exhausted versus having to take her out through a ladder or something more risky. So it was a uh, you know great turnout by her folks, a good stop on the fire, and uh, the, the house is still standing. So.
0: Now, do you remember? Do you know off the top of your head how many? I guess I could look it up. Do you remember how many firefighters ended up out there?
2: Yeah, our, our typical alarm for a, a residential structure fire gets about 14 to 15 firefighters, depending on which, uh, you know, fire rigs are closest. Uh, typically, as that expands, once we get a confirmed fire where there's fire showing or we get on scene and confirm that's a working fire, some other things trigger in our, our uh, off-duty chief officers get paged. And we'll typically, uh, we have more resources in the city, uh, so we'll end up usually getting a couple more uh, fire companies there. Uh, it really depends on everything, from weather conditions to to what the incident commander is looking at with with you know any given structure on size and complexity of the incident. Um, our main thing is that if we've got people, uh, if we've got firefighters attacking a house fire, we typically have firefighters in reserve on the outside doing both exterior work, but also then kind of, we call it on deck where they're they're waiting uh, for air to run out on the crew that's inside as they come out. We have another crew in place to pick up their work or that hose line and continue
0: uh, with the fire attack. And this, and this, I was just—I'm trying to lead you into some of the shared service talk, uh, because if you get so many firefighters at one fire, so subtle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have two different angles here, so I'm—I'm I'm talking it out to myself, but I'm just doing it out loud. If you have—if you have so many firefighters at one fire, obviously you—you got to have backup in case there's another fire on the other end of town. It just seems crazy to me that you'd have 30 people at one fire. But then, but you're covered everywhere else, right? Even the the, the the adjacent towns have have you covered too?
2: Yeah, the you know I, I think as you get simultaneous calls going, that that eventually stresses any department. And you know, to the far end of the spectrum, before September 11th in 2001, FDNY had no mutual aid agreements. But you know, even the largest department in the country can get overwhelmed with something pretty tragic. Um, with lacrosse. You know, we, we've got enough daily staffing that we could probably get away with two working structure fires at a given time. Beyond that, we're, we're calling in mutual aid resources to come and assist. Um, part of our uh, ongoing involvement is, look, if, if we think the second fire might come in, if we think the third incident might come in, let's close the gap on that drive time. Let's start letting the neighbors at least know what's going on and get them headed towards the city and meanwhile balancing the needs of their, their cities. Uh, all of the uh, departments in La Crosse County are part of a group called uh, MABUS. It's a Mutual Aid Box Alarm Association. It's really a statewide mutual aid network so that as as communities get overrun, there there's kind of a pre-planned uh, list of uh, you know, support and apparatus and fire companies that we need to come in behind us.
0: Yeah, I got the story up now. It says 29. It says, I, I wrote firefighters, but maybe... Maybe that was just everybody included, like EMS and, and and I don't know. It could have been police too. No,
2: I, yeah, and it's you know it's a national standard that uh, typically you need a minimum of fourteen firefighters to effectively fight a, a structure fire for just a standard size home. If it gets into commercial occupancies or really large, you know, you know five thousand square foot homes or something, that just starts adding to the manpower needs. Um, typically, not uncommon to see twenty to twenty four people at a, at a good working structure fire uh, in our city uh what goes on in the background that people don't see is there's there's callback of our own personnel that are coming into a staff uh, additional reserve rigs as well as we've got an automatic aid agreement with uh with the Holman area fire department where they're already in the mix with us and then mutual aid agreements with uh you know uh shelby on alaska other surrounding departments uh,
0: where we can move them up as additional calls or, or if they were to come in all right that's fire chief ken gilliam uh we got to take a break scott's comment brad doing the news we'll get Fire Chief Ken Gilliam's take on uh, best and worst Halloween candies, too, as we uh, approach Halloween when we come back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talking text line. Fire Chief Ken Gilliam's on with me. And uh, we've been talking off the air about Hatch Baby a little bit. Uh, last, time you, last time you came on, too, we talked about adopting Hatched Baby. Or the fire department and i asked the mayor about it and the mayor uh talk show host mitch reynolds would have had some fun with that conversation lacrosse mayor mitch reynolds uh not as fun about talking about the hatch the the fire chief adopting hatch baby and putting it out in front of a fire station somewhere maybe you caught him on a bad day probably i could i could have been but i was like yeah mitch we're gonna put a band-aid on it and we're gonna fix it up because the face was torn off the head uh, and you guys are like EMS, so it's kind of like promoting, although if, you know, maybe it's not promoting, uh, you know, EMS services by the fire department because the hatch baby is all ruined. So, but yeah, it'd be nice if you, if we could, we could salvage hatch baby and, and then put it out in front of one of your new fancy fire departments. Pick
2: up the pieces.
0: Yeah. Um, Eric from Sparta is calling and he wanted to talk to hatch baby. So let's see how this goes. Eric, go ahead. You're on the air.
1: Yes, I remember when Mitch was on the radio, and he talked to the city that it came from. I think it might have been in Ohio. Yep. And they talked about it as a, like, kind of like a big joke. Now, he's mayor, it's all important now. So, finally, somebody gets rid of that monstrosity. And I just wondered, is anybody going to set up a defense, some of the defendants of thing? Because the thing was just pukey sickening.
0: Okay. Eric's really fired up about um, yeah, we heard, up. I, yeah. It
2: actually came from our sister city in Germany. The name escapes me of the town, but
0: well, uh, it's a gift from an artist in Germany. Yeah, Wolfgang hours, the the artist. And yeah. yeah, you're right. I don't have the sister city. I, I I don't even know if I wrote it today when I put the story up. But it was in Cincinnati, I believe, and they had a lot of fun with Hatch Baby. They made T-shirts and they kind of they had it out in front of like an, an art center or something there in 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 that town. Um, but when I asked Mitch about it, this was after it was vandalized and we hadn't caught the people that have done it. So he wasn't like super, super excited to have fun with Hatch baby at that point. So I will defend him a little bit. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> it's just a- I'm,
2: I'm just happy they've caught the alleged terrorists. I hope uh, the justice system brings them to justice. And I, yeah, I, I, well, I heard they had uh, found them and, uh, you know, it's certainly a uh, destruction of property and it's unfortunate it happened because I think, uh, I think a lot of people were having a lot of fun with that thing, but-
0: yeah, it'd be nice if we could actually salvage it. There are there has been talk from local artists that they they want to do something with it, but um, we uh, I did talk to Tim Grinke, the district attorney here in Lacrosse County, about um, you know what would happen to the people we caught, and I'm going to have him on next week Tuesday, I think, so we can talk about that a little bit at that point. Um, let's see here, Ken, I'm getting a couple other calls. Um, the guy that called earlier about the the 2040 plan, he's calling back. And now I forgot what he wanted to talk about, but you can you can just remind me. Go ahead, you're on the air. Okay, well, good call. That was good. Um, Change his mind again? I guess so. And uh, well, we get one more call. Caller, who is this? Hello. Hi, this is Barry. Hey, go ahead. You're on the air with Fire Chief Ken Gilliam.
1: Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, I bumped into a Saint Paul firefighter up on Isle Royale. He was up there backpacking. And when he found out it was from Lacrosse, the very next thing he said is that they lost one of the best leaders they ever had when Gilliam came to Lacrosse. And I just wanted to share that—that that was his first thought when he heard the word Lacrosse was um, Gilliam. All right. I, I don't even know what to say.
2: I, I'm certainly humbled, and I did not pay that individual. So, but thank you for sharing that.
0: You're very welcome. All right. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for the call, Barry. Oh, that feels good right nobody ever says that about yeah. me when they call i don't know it's weird
2: <laughs> yeah no it's, uh, I, I say that about you rick
0: yeah right <laughs> when you're in others says hey yeah. this guy um all right let's get when this people out. Of- okay I, I think of rick you know? yeah right <laughs> the hoka volunteer probably remember. um when we let's get this out of the way right away halloween's coming up sure you let's just get, get, i don't know if you did a top three or, or you have just like the best and worst what are your best and worst halloween candies
2: Oh, yeah, you sent me that. Let me uh, pull up the list here real quick. I got it here. Uh, the best, I think, you know, I'm, I'm more of the, uh, like the M&Ms or like the chocolate and caramels, but it's more fun to talk about the worst. Uh, yeah. I'm definitely voting worst is like a candy corn. Nothing better than an unwrapped candy that's been manhandled and thrown in your bag and carried around. Uh, <laughs>
0: what is it like? In. What is Halloween like at the fire station? Do you, A, do kids get to come to the fire station to trick-or-treat? Do you do that? You
2: know, this pandemic's making uh, everything kind of heebie-jeebies anymore, so uh, not not last year or this year. I, I hope uh, someday in the future we can uh, be handing out candy to kids again, but I think things have been pretty tame here the last couple of
0: years. Yeah, it would be kind of cool, too, to do like a haunted house in the, in the firehouse, but I don't know if you could do that at, ever. <laughs>
2: Yeah, a little dicey if you got to leave for a call. You
0: know. Yeah, right. A good idea, you know, but throw the let's kids. Throw
2: on out at the radio station.
0: Yeah, right. It is a little throwing the kids out of the way as the fire trucks heading out. Um, yeah, Bad easily, plan, easily the worst candy. And I, you know, best candies. They're the, these lists always cheap because they just give whatever you see at the aisle when you're checking out at a store, like Kit Kats and M Ms. Those aren't those aren't Halloween candies. You got to go like the, like the 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 the, hol- the holiday. Um, the worst ones for me are black licorice. Is that a Halloween candy? I feel like black licorice doesn't. I don't know. It's it's the worst candy ever, I think. But um, definitely not my if, first pick. Yeah, definitely. If Someone's giving me black licorice in my in my trick or treat bag. That's I'm I'm done. And then the the yeah, one I, I don't
2: want to offend like candy corn lovers because it's not like if it was a fresh bag of candy corn from the candy corn factory. That's one thing. It's just the the loose unwrapped stuff. Not my thing
0: right the bowl of candy corn what's funny is every once in a while this says has i haven't noticed in a couple of years but we have like we have we have a break room here and um somebody will just unload their leftover candy at some point so there'll be a big dish back there but it'll be like open and it will it'll have candy corn and then it'll have like weird halloween nuts in there and stuff like that and it's all mixed together and uh, it's it may be the worst thing ever I don't know if at, if at the fire fire department there's just like a an old bowl of candy corn laying around in the commons area
2: I think that's every workplace you, you got to get the bad stuff away from your children and who better to dump it on than your diabetic coworkers.
0: <laughs> your co-workers and then the other worst one for me is uh what they're we're calling Mary Jane's the these black and orange waxy paper uh blobs and they're just Brown blobs of goo. That uh, that's the worst Halloween candy for me. Yeah, not not a good plan. Um. All right. So back to some serious stuff. We were talking about. Uh, well, we hit we hit a electric. That was
2: serious for the record. But go ahead. What, yeah, right.
0: I mean, it was very topical. Uh, we we were talking about electric fire trucks, and we were talking about how many. And I just the the amount of firefighters that showed up to that fire the other day. And you said it was a pretty big. Uh, building that was on fire, like a threeplex, you you called it, and I, uh, it, it
2: was a yeah, it was a very uh, large old house. They come with a lot of risks, and uh, you know it, it's got uh, what we call exposures. Houses right up against it on either side, so there's a, there's a lot that can go wrong. Um, we we attack fires very aggressively in the city of La Crosse, and uh, you know you fire trucks don't put out fires. Firefighters put out fires, so
1: you know we we uh,
2: get our personnel
1: uh,
2: working on several things all at once. Uh, but typically, you know, uh, it's about 15 to 20 people it takes to, to fight a house fire
0: effectively and, and get it put out and save occupants,
2: things like that. All
0: right, and this one had 29 people. But when, uh, first of all, are you calling guys, uh, do, do firefighters get overtime? Are you calling guys that are off duty to come? How does that work?
2: Yeah, there is some callback. It, it just depends, uh, really, our, our battalion chiefs that are kind of our first incident commanders on those scenes. Uh, they start to uh, trigger working fire protocols. We call them uh, that'll typically have call backup staff to get another fire engine uh, up in Lacrosse. That's really to to get ready for the next call. Our, our on duty staffing each day can you know can handle a more complex incident fairly well. It's just we're we're kind of backfilling to get ready for the next incident. Uh, not uncommon for us to alert Shelby and uh, on Alaska, either bring them to the scene or at least let them know that we've got something going so that they. They can do their callbacks and kind of cut down that drive time of their uh, part-time people in those stations as well. It, it really, it's it's case by case, and it just depends on you know the complexity and it, are things getting better or are things getting worse. We always err to the side of caution.
0: Yeah, and when 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 uh the casino bar starts up fire at downtown, lacrosse, you're going to call everybody you possibly can uh, because you can't yep. let that one get out of get out of control. Um, there and then the other thing I was talking to with a friend is. You know, there's a like we were playing basketball at Viterbo one day, and uh a guy started having a heart attack, and I laugh at it because it's just like the, the it, in my like he ended up okay, but he you know he was having a heart attack at that time, and um you know you call first responders. Well, sometimes the first responder is you, but they show up in a giant fire truck, and it doesn't seem like. A not the fastest and B not the most efficient to have like a fire truck driving around. Can you explain you know the thought process there, or the I guess not the thought process, but the process there?
2: The strategy, yeah, absolutely. And I think as you think of the term first responder, that's what it's about. It's it's getting the closest properly trained person to the scene of an emergency. So if uh, if somebody's having a heart attack, difficulty breathing, you know something uh, very high risk where there's a short amount of time to deal with it. Um, people just want help. So all, all of our firefighters are also dual-trained as EMTs or paramedics. Um, so no matter which, uh, which red fire truck is showing up in the city of Lacrosse, at a minimum, everybody's an emergency medical technician. Uh, we've got about 12 paramedics that are trained up now, and we're working on more and uh, certainly evolving into a paramedic service. Um, and it's really they've got all the equipment they need. As you look at the, the private ambulance in the area, uh, tri-state ambulance that we work with, you know they've got uh, four to six ambulances on at any given time, creating or covering a very large area. Uh, sometimes they're right there with us. other times there are delays, you know, and uh, if we can uh, if we can use a cardiac monitor or a, a defibrillator, uh, deal with an airway and clearing some of the airway that's choking, you know any number of medical emergencies that we run into, those minutes by people time, we stabilize the patient, and as that transport ambulance gets there, it's a very effective handoff. Typically, one of our uh, medics will jump in the back of the, the ambulance to try to stay go to the hospital if it's something serious enough where they need extra help. So it's a pretty integrated and, and seamless system, um, and that, that's that's the reason we're there. Uh, they're first responders. All of our fire trucks also carry uh, medical equipment on them, and that's pretty common across America. About uh, 80% of the typical fire service call volumes EMS-related.
0: Now, f- where we play by Viterbo, the fire the fire station is probably four blocks, from, from the Matthew Center there, I'm guessing. Don't you die? Uh, um, uh, yeah. To jump in, and I don't know if a fire truck showed up to this, but just for example, to jump in a fire truck and drive four blocks, I feel like the EMS guy could grab whatever he needs to grab and, and sprint over there faster than it would take <laughs> to drive this huge fire truck over there. Is, there. is there a case sometimes where the only vehicle at the fire station is a fire truck? Because I feel like... I oh, there's somebody having a heart attack. I might be the first person to get there. I'm going to jump in this van or fire like or or like pickup truck as opposed to jumping into the giant rig. You know.
2: Yeah, we we have a couple of lighter weight rescues. They they're you know one ton one ton pickups with uh, you know boxes on the back. I'm essentially those pick up some of our front end on EMS calls uh, at our core though. All of our engines and our uh, quints are stocked with EMS equipment and personnel as well. Um, it's It's the closest rig or the closest company is coming. Um, so it's it's really whoever's available and near it has the nearest trained responder should be at that incident.
0: All right, so um, it's probably not all that. Is there, is there a case too where you have to bring the giant fire truck, the giant rig because just in case now I, now there is a fire and I need the truck here.
2: Well, I think it's part of that, you know, can the rigs get smaller thing you mentioned earlier. We're, we're carrying a lot of equipment, right? We're carrying fire tech equipment. We're carrying EMS equipment. We're carrying different assortments of technical rescue equipment. You, you can't, as you're driving around town, if an emergency comes in, you can't go back and, you know, start switching over the rigs and changing things out. It's like you've got to respond with what you've got. Um, as we really look at life safety issues uh, for fire and EMS, uh, you know, emergencies, it's all about minutes. So that's everything from the traffic design that you always like to have a little bit of fun with to how, how we respond. We, we want to get a properly trained first responder to the scene of your emergency as soon as humanly possible. The next step is making sure they have the right tools. So we do a lot of kind of cross-equipmentizing uh, our rigs and making sure we've got what we need for our high-frequency calls, which are a lot of medical-related calls. So uh, We're I- uh, we're set up good. I think the, the citizens of La Crosse are fortunate to have the uh, system we have. And, uh, you know, certainly looking at the growth and partnership opportunities with a lot of our neighbors right now.
0: Uh, What about uh, if you had, I don't know if you've seen this in Batman, when the Batmobile gets into a a tussle, like he ejects a motorcycle, maybe you can have something like that.
2: That'll be that Fire Chief Tesla in a couple of years, man. (laughs)
0: Uh, We're speaking with Cross Fire Chief Ken Gilliam, uh, talking about just a a bunch of different things. There's also, you know, across the country, there's a worker shortage. Um, Do you have a fire do you have, a like, a firefighter worker shortage as well?
2: Yeah, I think all of the emergency services realms, from police to fire to uh, EMS and our, our paramedic services. Uh, over the last handful of years, and especially since the pandemic, we're seeing a very dramatic de- uh, decline in applicants coming in. Um, where we're seeing it on on the career or paid side, it, it's uh, tenfold on, on the uh, part-time or volunteer side. Uh, you know, I think there's quite a few businesses in town that are screaming for help right now. And the the, the services provided by, you know, a volunteer service are being impacted that much more. So it's, the current economy and everything that's going on with the pandemic is, is really having some pretty nasty ripple effects. Um, I know the uh, Wisconsin Policy Forum, what we were talking about earlier, the, uh, the Wisconsin Policy Forum just released another study that's kind of a, a uh, accumulation of a number of the studies, uh, similar to the one they did to La Crosse County last year. Uh, they're looking at trends now. If you go to their website, it's it's in the top of the report section, but it's talking about a critical uh, EMS staffing shortage throughout the state. And that's really being echoed all over the country right now. So we're all uh, we're all looking at recruitment and retention ideas, and then I think some of the regional uh, response dialogues that are going on all over the place. It's
1: just you know how how can we do more with less assets?
0: All right, Lacrosse Fire Chief Ken Gilliam. Hey, I appreciate you coming on with us and join and spending the hour here. My pleasure. All right, we'll see you later. Be safe. We need- all right, that was Fire Chief Ken Gilliam. we got to take one more break. We'll come back after this. All right, welcome back to the Crosstalk PM. Appreciate Ken Gilliam coming on and spending the most of the show with us here, talking about some of the issues that firefighters are going through. And it sounds like just the same issues that we're all going through. And we didn't really... Dive into it too much, and and I don't think it's going to solve itself in a month. Uh, as I I usually have Ken on at the end of each month, uh, the last Thursday of each month. But uh, the idea that we have a firefighter shortage, and you know, a, what does it take to become a firefighter, and b, what what do firefighters make? Because in Lacrosse, I think they're okay, but uh, where I'm from, where I where I'm from, where I live. Uh, that's that's going to be a volunteer fire department. And there'll be volunteer firefighters, and I'm guessing they probably don't get paid all that much. And for the amount of uh, responsibility you have, the amount of training you would have to get, uh, and then to be on call or not on call. Um, and, and Ken's talked about this in the past, just the idea that the, the, the way volunteer fire departments work is you, you have so many people, they're volunteers, and when there's a call, they... The, they show up, but not everyone always shows up. So there's, and then you're kind of dependent upon the full-time fire department from the next town to get over there to to help out, depending on what's what the situation is. So it's a, it's a real interesting. I think it's real interesting. It might not, maybe it's not, but I think it is. I mean, it's our safety. It's something that you you see these calls all the time. They're happening all the time, and you know the other thing we didn't get into and. Uh, we can get into it every time. So, I mean, e- even if you went back to any of the shows where Ken's on, you can you can listen to the shows where he talks about uh, where we're at the city of Lacrosse, where we're at with building new fire departments. Um, where I'm from in Greenville, Wisconsin, uh, we we built a pretty awesome fire department. But uh, my mom, who's you know paying attention to the city council and committees and stuff that's going on there, she talked about how. It's a fire department. It's all glass doors, and it looks really cool. It's all lit up at night for, you know, maybe unnecessarily. Uh, but it looks really awesome. And then they built offices adjacent to that. But the offices, you know, the vo- first of all, the fire department's volunteer. And it was like a 5 or $7 million building they built. Um, it's a volunteer fire department. So, wow, okay, we're going all in on that. But, you know, then the thought process was probably because as Greenville expands, it's just becoming suburbia there. Um, maybe we should, uh, think about like, Hey, down the road, we might go full-time here, so we should build this thing. Um, uh, might even incentivize, you know, people to want to come work there, but they didn't build it for a full-time fire department. They put all these offices in that don't really, I don't think they convert very well into living quarters or living space. So then you're going to end up having to build another couple throw another couple million into an adjacent building or. Um, add on to the the brand new building that you already have to build living quarters it just didn't seem doesn't seem very efficient i don't know what they were thinking there so all right that's all the time tomorrow we'll get into halloween candy talk i think a little bit more Um, i did see a funny story too about those mary jane candies that i want to bring up with uw lacrosse political science professor dr anthony chergoski And if you want to listen to this conversation or any of the conversations that we have here, and Mike Hayes in the morning as well, and there's a couple other podcasts, uh, Ken Cooper does a podcast as well, wisdomnews.com slash podcast. All right, thanks everybody for listening.